Uh, welcome to Healing School this morning. Um, and you know, Healing School is about redigging this well of healing that is the heritage of the church. And if we achieve our objective, which we will, um, it would result in tangible manifestations of healings in the lives of people and also um, a generation of people being raised that are effective, effective in ministering healing. And you know the spirit of the Lord, I know there are angels seated on the first row, but they'll, um, they'll give room to you if you want to sit there. You know, and the, the spirit of God is here, so you can expect the Holy Spirit to, to guide us and lead us. Expect to be challenged, expect to be um, exhorted, because it's not just about receiving healing, it's about ministering healing. So as we're worshiping this morning, there are a couple of things that, and you know, I'm going to sort of, we're going to go, we're going to jump around a little bit. You know, sometimes we'll be focusing on receiving healing, sometimes we'll be focusing on ministering healing. You know, we're just going to go with the flow of the Holy Spirit. I'd like us to open our Bibles um, to Luke 6, 46. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Now, who do you think the Lord was speaking to here? His disciples. Um, we know that if you scroll up, I have a red letter Bible. So Jesus is speaking, Jesus is speaking. And then go up to verse 20. He says, then he lifted up his eyes toward his who? His disciples. Now, his disciples are his followers. Yeah. Those who left everything to follow him. Okay, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, were fishing when Jesus came and said, you know, come follow me. And they left everything they were doing and they followed Jesus. Um, Peter, you know, was a fisherman. And um, Jesus said, come follow me. And he followed Jesus. Andrew brought him to Jesus. But he left what he was doing and he followed the Lord. So these were disciples of Jesus Christ. How many disciples do we have here? Okay, it's not a trick question. Okay. We're followers of the Lord. Now he says to his disciples, why do you call me Lord? Now the word Lord is Greek word kurion, which was um, a, a word that, um, you know, in the early centuries after Jesus came, you know, the, some of the, the Roman, um, you know, emperors, you know, abrogated that name to themselves because it's a word that is, that is reserved for deity, you know, somebody you worshipped, you know, somebody you worshipped, someone that was your master, um, yeah, your master, somebody who, you know, a master is somebody you always obey. So this is like a, an oxymoron here because it says you call me Lord and then you don't do what I tell you to do. How is that possible? Okay. Now, you might ask um, 
me why I'm saying that or why I'm, why I'm starting with this. You know, in the area of the ministry of healing, healing the sick is part of the heritage of the church. But beyond that, it is a command of Jesus to his disciples. It's a command of Jesus to his disciples. Now, this was not my plan this morning. You know, we worship the Lord, we get into the spirit, and then, you know, the spirit of God leads us in a particular direction. Okay? Um, in, math, in the book of Mark, um, chapter 16, let's look at that. Verse 14 says, later, this is after he ro rose from the dead, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had, been, he had risen. You know, Jesus' definition of love is not a love that will not call you out. Yeah, Jesus would look you in the eye and loving you, he will tell you you're a hypocrite. Yeah? He will look you in the eye and he will hug you and tell you, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah? All right? Uh, because he calls us to maturity. He calls us to obedience. He calls us to a high purpose. And then he said to them, who was he speaking to? His disciples. And we've all identified ourselves as his disciples. He said to them, Go into all the world and declare or preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be damned. And these signs will follow them who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, he gave certain commands here. The first command was, go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. Okay, it's a command. Say to your neighbor, it's a command. Yeah, it's a command. It's a command. It's a command. It's a command to declare the good news. It is a command. And then he says that this is what will happen to those who believe. Yeah, who actually go out and obey him. It says they, uh, it says those who believe, um, if they believe and they're baptized, they'll be saved. It says, in, and these signs will follow those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will take up, uh, will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they, if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Okay. So, this is, um, the, these are the signs that will follow those who believe, who believe, who believe, who believe. So, why are we not obeying this? Why are we not doing this? Why are we picking and choosing which of them that we do? You know, it says that they will lay hands on the sick. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Is the, verse 19 says, So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out, 
they went out and preached everywhere. So what did they do? They obeyed what the Lord commanded them to do. Yeah, it says they went out and they preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with or through the accompanying signs. What do we think those accompanying signs were? Casting out demons, healing the sick, speaking with new tongues, raising the dead, etc., etc. Okay? So, they obeyed what Jesus said. They preached the gospel everywhere. Gospel is good news. The good news that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, the world has been set free. We looked at 1 John 3, 8 last week. Um, there is freedom available. We have been loosed from the bondage of Satan. And if you believe, if you respond to that and agree, then I will lay hands on you and you will recover. I can cast out demons from you in the name of Jesus. But the first thing they did was they obeyed the Lord and preached everywhere. And preached everywhere. And preached everywhere. And preached everywhere. In obedience to the commandment of the Lord. So, um... Why don't we do this? Why are we not obeying this? You know, but, but the question though is, I mean, if we ask ourselves seriously, I mean, remember where we started from. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Yeah. Why do we not do what the Lord says we should do? Why do we not preach the good news everywhere? That's what the disciples did. Why do we not do that? Why do we not lay hands on the sick why is our first response when somebody is sick not necessarily to lay hands on them why do we not expect the lord to confirm his word with signs following is it that we do not believe because he said these signs will follow those who believe you know there are a couple of things i was sort of meditating on this so i felt the lord was sort of speaking to me about this and i think it really comes down to a particular truth. And I think this is something that we need to grapple with and admit to, repent of and overcome. Yeah, because this is the heritage of the sons of God and um, the, the um, you know, yeah, this is the heritage of the sons of God and this is what God wants for his people. You know, last night, I mean, most of you were at the, you know, the prophetic and healing meeting we had yesterday and I was really um, encouraged by the number of people that got healed yesterday um, and you could see that I mean you could see honestly when somebody's I mean I'm, a, I'm as skeptical as everybody else you know when someone says oh you know I got healed like yeah whatever you know um, but when somebody really gets healed you know you, you can tell you know, I've watched some, um, um, you know, programs on television and maybe with a friend, maybe, you know, somebody gets healed and they call them forward, you know. And you can always tell this person is healed because you look at the people that brought them. Maybe they are family. And you see people weeping, you know. There was this particular um, video I watched a few weeks ago. It was here in Nigeria and uh, this minister you know, brought this lady on stage. Uh, I think she was been deaf or something. Some miracle had happened. 
And her sister brought her to the meeting and she was just weeping. The sister, you know, broke down on stage and was just weeping and saying, my sister has been, you know, I mean, she could never hear or she could never walk. I mean, you can always tell, you know. I mean, so yesterday, so looking and, and looking at people and, you know, listening to the testimonies, I was very encouraged by the number of healings that took place and the way people were released through the prophetic word. And I asked myself a question, why did this happen here? Why did this happen here? And it only came to one thing. We acted on the word of God. That's the only reason why it happened. Yeah, We acted on the word of God. We acted on the word of God. Now the Bible says in Mark 16 that Jesus commanded and then they acted on it. The only reason why the miracles occurred was because they acted on it. Jesus says, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Just go and declare the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believes not will be condemned. These signs will follow them that believe. In my name, you will cast out demons. You will speak with new tongues. You will, you know, take up serpents. If you drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt you. You will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That was the command. And then Jesus left. But then the Bible says they responded and they preached everywhere. They preached everywhere. They, they, they recognized that the Lord had given a command so they obeyed his word. It's possible for a disciple to obey and really if you don't disobey, I guess he called them disciples but they still disobeyed him, right? But in this case they obeyed his word. They preached everywhere. Everywhere, 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 everywhere they were, they preached. And preaching is declaring the good news that you don't have to be in bondage anymore. You can be in union with God. You don't have to be sick anymore. Jesus has died and risen from the dead. Yeah, you don't have to be exposed anymore. You can be protected. Jesus has already paid the price for you. They preached everywhere and the bible says the lord working with them confirming the word with signs following so if you want the lord to work with you and confirm the word what would you have to do you have to preach everywhere yeah and preaching is really a declaration of truth it's not an argument it's not a teaching it is a declaration of truth it's somebody heralding something, you know. Um, but I, I think that, so I want, to, I want to challenge us that the Lord is actually waiting on us. You know, you hear that said, you know. Um, I mean, we say we should wait on God, which we do, and we should. But in this regard, the Lord is waiting on us. He's waiting on us, just like he was waiting on his disciples. He is waiting on us. He's waiting on us to preach everywhere. He's waiting on us to obey his word. He is actually waiting on us. 
We don't need anything else. We just need to obey his word. Yeah? And I think it really comes down to a particular thing. Let's open our Bibles to Luke 17, 33. And this is what I want us to grapple with this morning and talk about it and break through to the other side. Now, let me open it to my Bible. In Luke 17, 33. Now, he's speaking here to his disciples again. Yeah, so this is not for the crowd. This is for you and I. In verse 22, he says, he said to the disciples. Okay? So in verse 33, he said, Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. The Passion Translation puts it this way. It says, all who are obsessed with being secure in life will lose it all, including their lives. But those who let go of their lives and surrender them to me will discover true life. Okay? I read that again in the Passion Translation. It says, all who are obsessed with being secure in life will lose it, including their lives. But those who let go of their lives and surrender them to me will discover true life. Now, what does it mean to be obsessed? What does it mean to be obsessed? Okay, we have enough English majors here, so I have no doubt. To want something so badly. Okay, excellent. Any other expansion on that? Desperate? Yeah, there's a desperation that comes through with obsession, isn't there? Yeah, it's not just a deep desire. There's a desperation. You want it very badly, you are desperate, you are willing to protect it at all costs. Are you not? You want it at all costs. There's no price too high. Now it says that whoever is obsessed to save his life will lose it. Now I think one of the reasons why we don't obey the word is because we're afraid of failure. And we want to protect our reputation. Now Jesus says that everyone that is obsessed to save his life will lose it. But those who let go of their lives and surrender them to me will discover true life. You know there is a dimension of life that is waiting to be discovered. And that is a dimension of life that is on the other side of surrender and obedience. Yeah? Um, on this side of surrender, you are going to lose your life. And not just physically. Everybody dies eventually, right? But um, we would lose the opportunity to live life on the highest plane. If we hold on to our obsession to save ourselves. And you know there's something about 
saving your life that is opposite to having a Lord over your life. Because if somebody is your Lord, then it means that you surrender or your life is surrendered 100% to them. You see, I believe that one of the secrets to effective healing ministry is losing your life and surrendering your life to the Lord. Surrendering your reputation um, to the Lord. Because he says that you cannot save your life and then lose it. Um, uh, you, can't, you can't save your life and not lose um, the real life that he has for you. Another verse that's very similar to this. Um, Matthew 16.25. Let's look at that real quick. In verse 24 it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples. So this is again for us. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Will find it. Will find it. The passion says, If you choose self-sacrifice and lose your lives for my glory, you will continually discover true life. For if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will forfeit what you try to keep. Okay? Same thing. You choose to lose your lives for my glory, which means you choose to lose your reputation. You choose to lose that drive for self-preservation um, and you lose it for his sake. You abandon yourself to obeying what he has commanded you to do even if everybody that you lay hands on dies. Yeah? Because it's not about the healing now. It is about what? It's about obedience. It is not about the healing anymore. It is about the obedience. It is about the obedience. Your ability to walk to one person, lay hands on them in the name of Jesus, fully expecting them to recover and be healed, go on to the next person, trusting what the Lord has said, laying hands on them in the name of Jesus. You know, and through that process, the Bible says that you will discover true life. Yeah, you will discover what? True life. One more verse, and I'm going to open it up for discussion. Let us open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. I'd like someone to read the New King James. Um, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. And if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. And those who live should live no longer for themselves, for, but for him who died for them and rose again. Okay. For the love of Christ compels Compels us. When we say the love of Christ, in this context, we're talking about Christ's love for us. Yeah? You know, the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 8, that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this love that Christ has for us, this sacrificial love that he demonstrated on the cross, where the Bible says that, you know, um, you know, no one dies for people. Even if somebody is a righteous person, you hardly find someone to die for them. 
But God demonstrated his love that while we were yet sinners, while we were spitting on his face, he came to die for us. So Paul says, with this understanding of his love, it compels us. For we've made a rational appraisal of this love. And we judge that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The Passion says, for it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. It is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. His love for us and his love for the people that we are laying hands on. Yeah? He loves them. He went to die for them. It's his love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means all died with him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives but lives that are poured out for him the one who died for us and now lives again. Okay? So, following, submitting to his lordship means that we no longer live self-absorbed lives, lives of self-protection and self-preservation, but we live lives that are poured out for him, that is the one who died for us and lives again. Praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. Okay. So, um, let's talk about this. Thoughts? Um, I have several questions running in my head. But let me start uh, with, I think, maybe the most difficult one first. Um, when Christ was on earth, he healed with a touch. He healed with a word. Um, he healed legs that needed limbs. He gave new eyes. He raised the dead. He called Lazarus that was rotting in the grave. Called him out. And we don't see that today. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I believe that the Bible says that um, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. You know, so I believe in healing and I believe that you know um, when we come forward and we have an issue and we ask the elders to pray we should get healed but the fact is it is not happening like that now so how do we explain because you know you've also mentioned the fact that you know we don't obey because of embarrassment you know for various reasons of disobedience we don't do it um, Fear is one of them, probably. So, um, when somebody goes out, this is the question. When somebody goes out in faith and tries to raise the dead, and the dead doesn't, guy doesn't get up, or sees somebody with a limb that has been chopped off, and the limb doesn't grow out, and I'm picking on those specifically. I'm not picking on headache or ankle problem. Because those can get healed by suggestion. Yeah? And 
doctors do it when somebody keeps coming to the hospital asking for, I have a headache, I have a headache, and they keep giving the guy or girl drugs, drugs, drugs. The doctor gets tired and gives them a placebo and says, this drug will heal you. And they believe it. And it goes. So that's why I'm specifically speaking about the lame, the dead. Because we are not seeing that. In the time you mentioned the disciples, they went out and they did it. And there's a particular, in Luke, the first scripture you said, you, you read, I think it was Luke 17 or 6. Sorry, 16. And it, it said that they went out, they were performing miracles, casting out demons, confirming the word. Yeah? So, in my mind, that leaped out to me saying, okay, the reason this was happening was because, number one, this word was just the Old Testament then. Right? So, this was the New Testament. They were preaching the word and for God to establish them and confirm that they are from God, he was doing these things. These things were happening. We have the word now. We are not actually confirming this word. This is it. So, I'm, I'm asking the question, why aren't we having the same type of healing that Christ did? We are supposed to be Christ-like. Yeah? We, we say we are supposed in general, we need to be Christ-like. But when we touch the dead, they don't get up. You know? So, how do we deal with that? I'll open it up. But I, I think that there are certain things that we, you know, because this is healing school. And it, I think these are very important questions. And I think there are certain things that we, we need to explore and examine thoroughly. So the first, I'll ask you a question. How many dead people have you, have you, have you tried and haven't gotten up? How many sick people have you laid hands on? You have, okay. You haven't done any limbs yet. Okay. All right. Um, now, you, you made a statement. You said, we don't see that today. Now, listening to that statement, it could almost infer that what that statement is saying is that it does not happen today. When you say, we don't see that today, um, it, it's, the statement seemed to suggest that it is not happening today. But the actual fact is, it is happening today. Yeah? It is happening today. Um, there's a guy that we're trying to get in here, um, hopefully in April or maybe in September, who's, uh, where's he from? Is it Mozambique? From Mozambique. And in his ministry, several dead people have been raised. Yeah? How many? Eight dead people have been raised. These are people that are verified dead, have been raised. Um, you know, we have seen, um, I give the example of, you know, I'm as skeptical as everybody else, you know, because I think that some things are, like you said, suggestions, some things, but there are a lot of, so we are seeing it today, um, and there is evidence to that, okay? We are seeing it today. Um, and also, when we trace the history of the church, you know, for instance, uh, they got, uh, 
they got filled with the Holy Spirit, for instance, um, in, um, in Acts chapter 2. And we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the early church. But there was a period in church history where there was no, there was, it was like, it's called, what's it called? The Dark Ages, you know. There was, I mean, you, I mean it was happening, but people were not seeing it, <laughs> you know. Even all through scripture, you see so many different periods where they were not seeing stuff. Even in the Old Testament, yeah. I mean, in the days of Eli in Shiloh, it says that the word of the Lord was, was rare in those days. There was no prophetic revelation, okay. Um, you know, it even says, he even used graphic language like, you know, the, the, uh, the lamp was dim in the house, you know, and no one was hearing the word of the Lord. This was even in the Old Testament. So sometimes when we read the Bible and we just read through, we think that, oh, we had this consistency. I mean, look at Gideon saying to God, if these things are true, where are all the miracles? <laughs> this is in the time of Gideon. Where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? Yeah? So, it is important because, you know, this is healing school and it is important to deal with certain things at the root. Now, when you say we do not see that today, um, first of all, that might, that's an inaccurate statement. And secondly, in a, inaccurate from the perspective of if we infer that it means that it's not happening. And secondly, um, just because you are not seeing something today doesn't mean that it has ended. It just means that there are certain things that we have lost, yeah, and have, have to be restored. Such as when Samuel finally discovered how to hear, was trained in how to hear the voice of the Lord, he began to hear the voice of the Lord, and he, 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 he as it were, uncovered that well, yeah. In the dark ages, when we had, like, I mean, after Dark Age, we had the Reformation, where we had people like Luther coming back and teaching us about the fact that justification is by faith. This was something that the whole Roman Catholic Church, under the, you know, through the influence of Constantine and stuff, had twisted, yeah, where people were doing indulgences, etc. But there was a restoration of salvation by faith. It was a restoration. They hadn't seen that. They, always, they thought they could, they could pray and, you know, give some offering and alleviate their sins as a result. There was a restoration. You didn't see salvation by faith, but it was true. Then you had things like the Azusa Street Revival where people started getting filled with the Holy Spirit again. After hundreds of years of, yes, people were getting filled, but you didn't hear it. You didn't see it. But there was suddenly a restoration. Everybody persecuted them and said, oh, you guys are of the devil. But we saw a restoration. Then you had, you had the healing revival. And you, suddenly, all these guys, you know, people like Hagen, T.L. Osborne, etc., phenomenal healings. You had, I mean, the times of John G. Lake and Alexander Dower, Dowie, where the, you had whole cities that the, it was in the papers where the index of sickness in that city was registered nationally. Um, in terms of how people couldn't get sick in that city anymore because everybody was getting healed. I mean, it became a national phenomenon. Now, these were things that hadn't been seen 
in a while, but all of a sudden, and we're talking about the 50s, we're talking about the 60s, there was a restoration of that. And it wasn't because God did something sovereignly where he just chose, oh, I'm going to do this now. It was like people discovered certain things that had always been in the church. Yeah? So if we're not seeing a lot of things frequently as we would like, it, it may not be because the Lord has stopped doing it. Yeah? Um, just, you know, the cursory sort of walkthrough I've done. I, I think it is more about there are certain things that belong to us that we have lost. And this is not the first time. <laughs> Do you understand? All the way through the Old Testament, there are certain things that belong to the people of God that they lost. So that's the first thing. Um, the other thing you mentioned, and this is going back to Mark 16. Mark 16, which we, look, we need to look at real quick. It says, verse 19 says, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they, they, who's the they there? The disciples, right? It says, and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with the accompanying signs. Now, who was working with them? The Lord was working with them, yes? And who was confirming the word? Yeah? It's not the disciples, obviously, that confirmed the word. It's was the Lord that confirmed the word, yeah? What word was he confirming is the question we should ask. What word was he confirming? Because you, you were alluding to the fact that he was confirming the Old Testament because he said that they only had the Old Testament at the time. So he was confirming the word he gave to them. Now, the word he gave to them was, go out into the world and preach the gospel. Yeah? The gospel is the good news. And the good news is not the good news of the Old Testament. It is the good news of salvation by faith through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is good news that for Jew and Gentile... Yeah, Jesus has paid the price for their sin and also their sickness. And the confirmation of the word or the confirmation of the word through healings and miracles confirmed the truth. In Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, it talks about how the Lord gave witness to the word through the miracles and the signs. He gave, he gave witness to the word that this word is true. Yeah? So people get healed, they experience a miracle, and they say, man, Jesus truly died and was raised from the dead. So the question is, does that word still need to be confirmed today? 
It does. It does. And all through the New Testament, all through the book of Acts, we see over and over again that the word is confirmed with signs, miracles, and wonders. You know, last week we talked about a Greek mindset to study of the word and understanding of the word and the Hebrew mindset. The Greek mindset was entrenched in debate and logic. What is rational? Okay? It was, it's, that's how the Greek mindset was. And that's why in the Areopagus in Acts 17, you had everybody would just stand. They had all these different platforms. And whatever philosophy you had, you just showed up on, on a day, stood on the platform, and told them your philosophy. And people analyzed it based on how rational it was to them. This makes sense. This doesn't make sense. So Paul got there and used the same rules of rhetoric and rationality to appeal to them. Okay? That was the Greek mindset. Understanding through rational debate. But the Hebrew mindset of learning was based on experience. You haven't learned something until you experience it. So they had rational, rigorous study, but you haven't actually learned until you've experienced. And that's why the Jews and the Hebraic mindset was one of um, understanding that there is more to life than I can rationally analyze. Because if my ability to judge truth and error is based on rationale, then it makes me better than what I'm judging because it means that I can appraise what is right and wrong. But the Hebrews approached learning with this humility and understanding that God is bigger than me. There are things that are going on that I do not understand. So I come in with that humility to learn and I have not learned until I have experienced it. And that's why the Hebrews were very big about things like visions and dreams and revelation and miraculous things because that was part of the, the um, experiential framework of learning. Okay? Um, so I said that to say this, that, um, you know, in terms of, as we approach this, you know, I, I, I feel, especially given the evidence of the word, and I, I did say I was going to open up, so I am going to open up. This is just my, my first thoughts. You know, while we engage on this, it's important that we hold the word. And that's why I like the question, actually. We, 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 we examine our thoughts based on what is the word saying. And it may lead us to very uncomfortable conclusions, but that is good. That is good because it means that there is something that there's a, a shortfall that we must bridge. Yeah? And, and thankfully, people through the generations went through the same thing. I mean, what it took Martin Luther to do, you know, the Wittenberg address or whatever it was on the thesis, what it took him to get to that point was grappling with this thing and, and reaching a conclusion from the word that was not popular. <laughs> you understand? And, and that is why all through the ages, we have people 
you know, popping up here and there that seem to contradict um, the norms because they saw something and it, 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 it made them go on a search and they saw that there was a gap and they refused to back down or accept the status quo and somehow they broke into something, into a different dimension of life. And I think those are the kind of things that we need to, to grapple with as we examine this. Uh, and that's why statements would need to be analyzed you know, from a, a spiritual-mindedness perspective. Otherwise, we're going to be locked into conclusions that are purely earthly in their scope. Yeah? Yes. Um, you know, as Pastor Jinde was talking, I, I was reminded of a, a statement made by a, a minister who was teaching on uh, this. And, and he said, the way you do life is the way you do faith. And, and it really... Um, helped me to re-examine a lot of things, which are, you know, still being re-examined. Um, you know, if I if I draw, if I think about, you know, I lost my dad in 2010 to to sickness, and the journey from his diagnosis to his passing, and my interaction with that situation, and my conviction that. I was persuaded that God was ready to, that healing him was not something that we needed to debate. But I was also conscious, I mean, I certainly feel like I took responsibility personally for the fact that he died. Um, and I, I don't mean that in the way that I was depressed or whatever, but I, I wasn't angry at God or anything, but I felt like I could not administer the grace of God effectively in that situation. And it caused me to ask you know, some deeper questions. And it, things that um, I came across subsequently shone, shed light on the fact that I had many, I had competing um, ideologies. I had competing things in my heart at that time. And you know, at the, sometimes we think that those things don't matter so much, but they, they, they do. You know, when it comes down to it, there's a, there's a there's an impotence that we experience that we didn't expect because we've kind of not taken cognizance of some of those other things that are in our heart and mind. I mean, at least I'm speaking from my own experience. Um, and, you know, so uh, another thing that that minister talks about is, is the way that we respond to absolutes in this day. So um, absolutely doesn't mean absolutely, really, to us. If we think about our own personal experiences, you know, when I was a child, I had asthma. And I kind of grew out of it in my teens. Um, and for years, I had inhalers, but I never really used them. And, you know, of late, I've been having issues, usually when I'm in Abelkota, and I think it's maybe just the environs, that, you know, at certain times of the year, um, you know, pollen, cat, whatever. And... I mean, at that point, you're really confronted with how absolute it is, you know? I mean, there are times when I'm talking to my colleagues and I'm, like, struggling to breathe, but I'm, like, speaking to myself and not wanting to reach for my inhaler. And to me, those are the places where the rubber is meeting the road. If we don't move through those things, 
I mean, bearing in mind that if you can't breathe for a period of time, I mean, it's really not good. So typically my inhaler is around, but I will resist using it. Um, you know, personal decisions that I have made. I, I've been living in Nigeria for nine years. I think I've been to the doctors once because my response is, first of all, I can't be depending on medical care in this environment. It's a bit easier in your, when you're in the UK. You think, okay, well, you know. But I mean, I just think, well, I better find a more reliable alternative. And by God's grace, you know, I've not really had to have any recourse to that. But I think that in that journey, I'm, like now, if somebody had cancer, um, because I've kind of walked that road before, where, you know, it was diagnosed at stage four, so it was already looking bad from the outset. So, you, I mean, it's not as if um, I didn't have the luxury of building up, so to speak, but I learned a lot through that journey. And confronting those things, confronting the things that are in our hearts, the alternative views that are in our hearts that we kind of don't really address, um, but when you actually put them against the word, you know, they need to go. Um, so that when we stand before limbs that have, need to grow, actually all of those things, I mean, we, we can't, if we can't do um, somebody has a skin condition or somebody, you know, then the limb is like a bridge too far for us. We have to um, cultivate a lifestyle, I, I think, where we rely on the truth of the word and we insist on drawing down. There's an obsession with experiencing those things in the quiet place of our own lives um, that then gives us stature when we're confronting um, you know, some of these bigger things, notwithstanding the fact that I think that God does things that you know, we don't even get. You know, you'll see like a child lay hands and well, I guess that makes sense because they don't have the same baggage that we have. But you know what I mean? You know, there are times where we'll see that something will happen with somebody. We don't feel that we expected that to happen based on whatever, our assessment of their stature. That, that happens. But in general, I think we, that decision to take God at his word in every situation in relation to healing is a decision that we must first make in order to grow in our experience of that, that reality. Um, we can't tolerate some and be indignant to others. We can't be prepared to reach for medicine immediately in some situations because it's very convenient um, and not in others. And, and, and all of that, because sometimes I do use my inhaler. I'm not saying that to condemn, but I'm conscious that I can't remain here. This cannot be my experience permanently. Okay, I know Pastor Nathan wants to say something, um, but before she does, um, I guess where we must begin, and you know, I'm glad you know, Pastor Tunde raised that question, but where we must begin is we need to ask ourselves if the command of Jesus in Mark 16, 15 applies to us. Yeah, we, we can't go anywhere from there. Okay? And if we say it doesn't apply to us, then we need to decide which verses of the New Testament belong to us. Which are the commands of Jesus for us and which were the commands of Jesus for the disciples but not for us. 
Yeah. Sorry. Okay. You could you could ask your question, but there's something I want to go on. Okay. Um, I think in answer to the question, the honest truth is that we haven't paid the price. I think there's a price to pay, and it's it's a very high price. So anyone who says that there's no price for following Christ, you know, has kind of got it wrong. There's an intimacy that is required that will cause you to really understand how much God loves you. And in that space, you begin to realize that whether it's a headache, that's your first um, encounter, or it's the death of somebody, or a limb that hasn't grown out, God wants to heal all of them the same. And so, it, it's not, I mean, I always used to believe like, you know, if, if, you, if you haven't done a headache, then don't do cancer, you know, like heal that person. But I've come to believe, um, mainly through study, that he'll heal them all alike, you know. But it, you, you need to be in that place where you're so um, in tune with the frequency of heaven that you understand, you know, what, what power you have. It says, okay, yes, we be, um, you know, those who believe. And the truth of the matter is a lot of times we actually don't believe. You know, those signs follow those, that, these signs will follow those that believe. And so, like, I, for me personally, I constantly ask myself, do I really believe? And, the, and really, it's like if I see somebody pass out, I'm not rushing there to go and say, oh, you know, let me, let me raise him from the dead. And that just tells me where my belief level is. Yeah? Um, I, I've recently gone back to study on um, the likes of uh, God's generals, you know, and one of the things I realized that it's not, it's not even always about how much faith you have when, uh, how much faith that person has to be healed. Sometimes it's your faith, sometimes it's their faith, sometimes it's both, and sometimes it's just the divine move of God. In, in my prayer time recently, I've, uh, one, one thing that I believe God spoke to me about was that there's a healing mantle that's been put on high life um, that is coming and that there will be no sick among the people of high life church. Not just because it's, you know, not, not just for high life, but for the city. It's going to be, like high life will be like, um, what's it, like a light on top of a hill for people around so that there will not be sickness. And one of the questions he asked me was, um, are, you, are you going to be one that stirs the water, you know, for other people to be healed? Or are you just going to like stand by? So I think we have to get into that mindset. Even if we don't see um, healings all around, and they are happening, but even if we don't see healings the way we'd like it to happen, I think we need to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, do we really believe? Um, like, I haven't been feeling very well for a, a few weeks now. I've been breaking bread in, every morning, you know, just doing all the things I know to do, and yet I haven't received that healing. And I honestly believe that it's because of the place where I'm at. I'm, I'm just not there yet. I'm really not there yet. I mean, God, of course, God can heal me like this, but... I believe that sometimes, you know, it, um, it's a process. It's, it's just that process that you have to go through 
you know, I don't want to be, how, how should I put it? I don't want to be so quickly healed that I forget. I forget that I'm trying to go through a, a process. For me, it's, it's pushed me to breaking bread and looking at the power of the blood and what, what the cross signifies, that when we got saved, we also got healing and, and sanctified and all the other things. It's pushed me to a place of saying, okay, God, you know, how much do you love me? Because if you do, I know that. If I, if I get the fact that you love me this much, then healing shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, so that's, um, that's my okay. thing. It's really about paying the price. All right. Now, um, you know... Um, you know how doctors, you know, there's been a lot of progress in the medical profession over the last hundred years. There's been a lot of progress. Um, in fact, when you read some of these books, uh, things like tuberculosis, you know, in the 50s killed a lot of people. <laughs> you understand? A, a lot of people. Um, the invention of penicillin solved a lot of problems. There's been progress over the last hundred years. You know, doctors have a phrase called, you know, the practice of medicine. You know, and the practice of medicine, even though it's like they're experimenting on people, over the course of decades, they have been able to discover how things work physically. And it's a testament to their doggedness and their consistency that new inventions have been made. Yeah? You know, when you begin to look at things like uh, quantum physics, or you start looking at things like, um, you know, biotechnology, it gets to the next level yeah, in terms of what is possible. And believe me, every single one of those discoveries are the result of dogged, focused investigation into the operation of life, physical life. In like manner, spiritual discoveries like Pastor Nieder said, is going to be the result of focused investigation. You know, in Jeremiah 6.16, he talks about the ancient paths where the good way is. Okay? Now, in order to discover something that you don't know, you are going to have to, it's like you have been led down a trail. <laughs> you know, you don't know where it's leading, but you, you are it's, it's like the new, you know? And, and for something to be new, it really needs to be new. You understand? You are discovering. Romans 4. Look at Romans 4. Romans 4 basically talks about the miracle that Abraham experienced. You know the story. I don't need to go through the whole story. It was an impossible situation. But I just want to read Romans 4 verse 1. It says, what then shall we say that Abraham... Our father has found according to the flesh. What has Abraham found? Or should I say, what has Abraham discovered 
What has they discovered? In fact, the New Living Translation uses the word discover. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the New Living Translation says, the founder of a Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? I mean, of course, prior to this time, everyone thought that righteousness was based on deeds. But Abraham went on a path that he made certain discoveries. Yeah? And one of the discoveries he made about the era of faith was how it is possible that I can have a child without sperm and have a, have a child without a womb that is, um, or have a child even when the womb is, is barren. He made certain discoveries about working with God. Yeah? And if you read Romans 4, it talks about the fact that he became fully persuaded. It talks about the fact that he, did not, he was not weak in faith. He talked about the fact that he against hope, he believed in hope. He made certain discoveries, yeah? And some of, some of those discoveries took him about 20 years because God gave him the promise at 75 or thereabouts and then he got, he got his miracle when he was 100. Now, you would discover that it wasn't that it was just divine fiat that determined when I was going to have this child. He went through a process of certain discoveries, certain discoveries, now, if you and I are going to redig this well of healing, you know, it's a little bit like digging a well. You can only dig a well if you have faith that there's water there. Yeah, a lot of times you don't know how deep you're going to dig. <laughs> and digging is a long, arduous process. Okay? But I believe that this, there are a lot of things that we need to discover. But discovery is only the result of investigation. An investigation is only the fruit of some kind of faith. Do <laughs> so you understand? When you know that at the other end, if I keep doing this thing, oh, I'm going to get there. There's some learning I'll need to do. There's, a, there's some changes I need to make. I don't understand everything. But as I investigate, I will discover. Now, what is the basis of faith? The basis of faith cannot be Oh, I have this good idea. And that's why, you know, you've got to applaud some of these inventors who, who, just, who just believe that, you know, what it's possible for human beings to fly, you know. The basis of faith has got to be something tangible. Are you with me? And that is why these words of Jesus, talking about make, giving us a command, if Jesus, if Mark 16 belongs to me, if Jesus, the Lord himself, was actually speaking to you and I, then we are responsible for what he said. And what we are responsible for is our obedience to it. Yeah? If he didn't say it to us, if it was not intended for us, then, hey, we are absolved of all responsibility. Yeah? So we need to ask ourselves that question. Was that command to preach the gospel to every creature a command to us? Now, you cannot exclude part of it. Yeah? And say, oh, this one is part, this one is not part. Yeah? Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name. Some people have said, oh, that part was not in the original manuscripts. That's 16 to 30, right? It was not in the original manuscript, so they took it out, okay? But I believe that that is a, 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 an attempt 
to rationalize and give ourselves an escape clause because even if that was not in the original manuscripts, everything that Jesus did beforehand and afterwards confirmed 16 to 30. In Matthew 10, 8, he said to the disciples that he sent to preach, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely you give. He told them, as you are going, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. More than once. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. When, if you skip over um, Mark 16 and go to the book of Acts, same thing. They got filled with the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons. Yeah? So if this belongs to us, then we see in that passage that the qualification is they went out, they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. I like that phrase, working with them. I like that phrase, working with them. He didn't say the Lord did it for them. I want us to pay attention to that. He didn't say the Lord did it for them. He said the Lord what? Working with them. Working with them. them. You know, the help of the Holy Spirit, um, Suante Lambano, where it says the Spirit of God helps our infirmities, he takes hold together with us against. That's what helpeth. In Romans 8, about 26, 27, the, the Holy Spirit helps our infirmities. He works with us. He would take hold together with us against the situation. Do you understand? If a doctor is examining a patient, there's a diagnosis that is made and there is certain um, pills that are given based on the, the situation. I believe that as we press into this and as we begin to work with the Lord and the Spirit of God works with us, and submit to his tutorial, we will see that in the area of the healing ministry, the Lord will work with us. The Lord will work with us. You can't, you can't recommend paracetamol for somebody that needs, you know, that maybe has a migraine headache. I didn't know. Do they Yeah? You know, there is a prescription. The Lord works with us. But to even get on that path, we need to accept, and you know, this only applies to you if, you know, because this is what healing school is about. Doubt is not something that we just sweep under the carpet. We have to confront it with truth. Do you understand? You don't just say, oh, I'm not doubting, I'm not doubting, no, I'm not doubting. So it's good when a doubt is expressed, and we must confront it with truth, and make sure that it's truth we're hearing. Yeah? So it really comes down to that statement. Is Mark 16, 15 to the end, a command of Jesus to us? If it is, that one we can be convinced about. If we are convinced about that, then it must put us on a path of investigation. And the path of investigation is what healing school is all about. We will look at the difficult cases. We will examine the difficult questions. We will follow a process of discovery. We'll go to the, back, the past, the present, but we will, we will embrace a Hebraic method of study and investigation. Yeah? Saturday morning, 9 to 11, cannot be the only time you look at the verses that we are looking at because it, it, this is meant to be a catalyst to you going on an investigation. It's not about sitting an exam and getting the result. That's not what it's about. It is about entering into this life 
that Jesus promised. Is this the life he promised? If he isn't, what are we doing here? Are we trying to maintain some kind of hypocrisy? Well, you know, what, what are we doing? So I guess those are the key questions that each person individually must answer. Because this is going to be, it's going to take us on, this, on a path that most people are not willing to go. That's why you don't see a lot of it around. Yes, Maya. I just want to contribute a bit from Randy Clark's book on healing. Um, Kingdom Foundation, a healing school manual from Randy Clark. He talked about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. He said, one of the ways the fa um, your commitment to the healing ministry is tested is when you go through victory, you stand, you rejoice in it. And when you have, you're defeated, you still press on. That, that he has heard a lot of people walk up to him that, um, Randy, why is it that this person didn't get healed? You pray for this person and the cancer killed the person and all that. He said his, his answer is, I don't know. Because God has, that, that we only know in part. And also from the people, there are some people I've read about who maybe they've raised the dead, healed cancers and all that. Many of them received those, like the people they raised from the dead and all that. They saw the God word of knowledge about them. Some had dreams. Some had, so it wasn't as if they just walked up to a dead person and just raised the person. So sometimes too, we have to pay attention to the promptings of the Spirit of God. And like Pastor Anita said, there are, there are things that um, Randy Clark quoted here. I think I should just quickly read it out, that um, it is wonderful to experience the trail of victory in healing ministry, the signs and the wonders, miracles and the healings, yet there is a cost to be paid to press into greater anointing in healing ministry, facing the agony of defeat and learning to press ahead despite the failures, disappointment and pain of healing ministry. It is in this context that our commitment to healing ministry is tested and proven. That's what I just so I guess the, the question is why, uh, no, it's okay, you can, it's, not, it's, not, it's a rhetorical question, so you can send the mic to the bishop there. Um, the question is why would a Randy stay committed to the healing ministry? Why? Even though he doesn't have 100% success. I believe that the only reason why he would do that is because he is responding to what he believes to be the command of the Lord. Do you understand? I believe that's the only reason why he would do that. And that is the only reason why you and I would go on this, on this endeavor as disciples of Jesus who are people who do what he says and obey his command. Yeah? Because obedience must come before understanding. Yeah? A lot of us think that understanding comes before... No. Obedience comes before understanding. It is in the process of obedience that we will understand. Yeah? Um... And I think that if I were to suggest an improvement on Randy's statement of I don't know, 
I would rather say, I have not discovered it yet. I have not discovered it yet because I know that it is God's will to heal the sick. Just like a doctor would tell you that, well, we haven't discovered the cure for cancer yet, but we believe that there's a cure. Do they not say that? Have we not seen progress over time? Do we not have research labs that 24-7, they are committed to research? So what we're saying is not, oh, I don't know, God does what he wants whenever he wants. No, that's not what we're saying. Because it's like, I haven't discovered yet, which means that we are on a constant path of study and investigation because we know that in every case, it is God's will to heal the sick. There are certain things we haven't discovered. Yeah? I agree. And then I want to say this. First of all, yeah. uh, to be honest, I think that the question that Pastor Tony asked is, is a very, I mean, it's a question that everybody should ask, honestly. Um, there's a quote I've always liked from my teenage years. I like to read the quote. It um, was by George Bernard Shaw. And it says that the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable man persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. And for me, it's so true because... So, so if we look at what you've said, and I think that anybody who is honest must ask this question. If you don't ask the question, I just believe that it's either you're detached from what you're doing or you're not being honest. So if, if we start from the place of obedience, it's so important, like Pastor said, that I mean, if we don't have any other reason or any other motivation, just because, like Jesus said, if I'm your Lord, then you must do what I say. On that basis alone, we have to obey. But beyond that, there's also the reality, because if, if all we had was Mark 16 and the Bible ended there, we'll probably be very frustrated. Okay, but thank God we have the book of Acts because after what God Jesus told them in Mark 16, we now see in Acts chapter 1 that He also then told them, Look, so Acts then gives us the outworking of Mark 16, which was, Don't leave where you are, stay and get the power. Because if you look at Mark 16, it was almost as if after Jesus just told them, Go out, they started going out. Okay, but there was a process that we see in Acts, which is that after Jesus gave them that instruction, He also gave them another instruction before we went to say, Look, tarry in Jerusalem and wait for power from on high and then after that be my witnesses okay which i mean be my witness is what he commanded commanded us in in mark 16 so so i think that if, if we read the whole of scripture with that mindset then we we'll begin to see that apart from the command because if we are if we are honest with ourselves even if all we are doing is just the command inside that command there is he that believes he didn't just say he shall lay hands the command is lay hands but then he also tells us when you lay hands something will happen so if, if, if I'm doing the command and I'm not seeing the end result, like, I mean, if I remember my chemistry from those days, too much school fees has covered all those things, you know. Hydrogen plus oxygen will give us water. That's the standard. So if I'm mixing hydrogen and oxygen and I'm, not, and I'm seeing nitrogen, I have to shout for help that something is wrong. Well, I can't just say, because my chemistry teacher said I should mix hydrogen and oxygen, I'll just continue. Even if I'm getting nitrogen, I'm not getting what he said. Do you understand? So I believe that your question is, is, a, is like, Somebody who is in the lab and saying, I'm mixing these things, but Papa, see, the, the thing I'm getting is not what you said. So, what should I do? You know, so, and I think in answering that, of course, there's the Acts element where we saw that clearly there was a place. So, if I, if I trace Acts, after we say Acts 2, the power of God came down, 
then we saw that um, they, they speak in they spoke in tongues. Sorry, I said speak. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking in King James English. <laughs> they, spoke, they spoke in tongues. People, I mean, Peter preached a powerful message, and then in Acts chapter three, we see that Peter and John taking that same power went to the beautiful gate. The question I'm asking myself is because there's so many, said that there's, there's many principles. The man that uh, Peter and John saw, that guy was Bible says was over forty years old. So. He was there in the time of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus not heal him? Is a question to ask. When Jesus went in John chapter 5 to, what's it called? To the pool of Bethsaida. Why did he go and look for just one man? There was a mighty crowd of people there waiting to, why did Jesus not heal them? That was a question to ask. So because, some, if we don't go into the world and investigate, like Pastor, because for me, I'm beginning to feel that there's this, just that, if we use the word science, it looks as if we are being spooky. But there's a science to healing in, in Christ. And science for me just simply means a systematic knowledge that you can study and then replicate anywhere. Okay, so if, if, if we use that definition, we can then see that, because I've tried to study the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. I see that all the healings that Jesus did, 99.99% of them was in response to a call by the, by the other person. Very few was a response that Jesus went by himself to go and heal somebody. Okay, the guy who was dead, the son of the widow of Nain, that was one example. Then this guy in John 5 was another example. All the other cases, if, if memory serves me right, it was Jesus going because people called him or Jesus was preaching and people had faith and they were healed. Those guys that were at that pool of Bethsaida, it's not, it's not possible that they had not heard that there was a certain Jesus. That guy that his, his four friends took and broke the roof, it's possible that that guy was there and the angel didn't come and maybe they didn't have a chance for it. They didn't hear that Jesus somewhere, let's go. You know, so... If we don't see that principle, if we don't investigate and study these things, we'll just go out and say, look, I mean, because I've heard some people make ignorant statements. If you are a real healing minister, why not just go everywhere and be healing everybody? But if we study it, because we are patterning after Jesus Christ, right? The people who went out in Mark 16, the pastorate, they went out to do what? To preach the word first. They didn't just go and be healing people. They preached the word. When they preached the word, people responded to the word that was preached by faith, and then they were healed. So, if we look at those principles, is there? Then the fact of the fact that look at a certain point, there are people. If I look at someone like John Gilek, who said that before he got filled with the Holy Ghost, he was doing some miracles, or he was doing some healings. But when he got filled with the Holy Ghost and with power, the thing jumped. Okay, so beyond that um, command in Mark 16, which is our manifesto, there are other principles that we need to study. Then. Also, like what Maya said and what Pastor said, I think it's, it must perpetually be our, our outlook. Not just in healing, but in any aspect. You know, like the quote I said, where if, if the Bible says your word is truth, so that means your word is my, my reality. To anything that is not happening according to that word, we must be humble enough to go back. Even Jesus, I mean, this was Jesus on earth. Jesus told the disciples, he, he gave them his own power. I mean, this was not that the Holy Ghost are following them. He gave them his own power to go and heal the sick. And they saw a man, the man who brought his son to them, and they could not. Then Jesus came down from the mountain and healed the guy. But the disciples, for me, you know, I love their heart. It was the fact that even when they couldn't, they went back to ask, Papa, this thing, we've been doing it before. We went, you sent the 12, we went, we saw miracles. We sent the 70, we saw miracles. Now, why could we not heal this guy? It's a question we must all ask. If you pray for headache and headache has gone, you now pray for ulcer. Ulcer didn't go. We must not just go back and say, ah, 
I'm doing strike rate of 7 over 10. I'm making progress. Those guys could have done that. But they went back. And when they went back, they now got new revelation. That Jesus has first of all because of your own belief. But secondly, because this kind, before then, they never knew that there was something called this kind. Go ahead, not out. And I used to think that, okay, so Jesus just healed that guy because of his own faith. But if you look back, and now see that Jesus went to the mountain to pray. So the thing that he told them, this kind going on about prayer and fasting, because he had done it on the mountain and came down and had generated enough power to do it. So I feel that there are so many aspects to this thing. But the commitment to your word is truth, for me, is key. That, that, that's what should drive us. Because if, if I look at something like speaking in tongues, for instance, or praying for somebody, to, I mean, I'll be honest, the time in my life, and I became a Christian very early, and I used to say that, the Bible say that, and the apostles laid hands, and people got filled. Ah, I used to try this thing. It used to work. Maybe out of every 30 people, one and a half. I said, ah, God, this thing, is not working. But I began to ask, I began to ask. In fact, I even heard a pastor say once, a very respected pastor, that to a few people with the Holy Spirit consistently, that if you look at the word of God, it was the apostles. That's all. It's, 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 if you look at when Philip went to Samaria, Philip healed them, but Philip never fed anybody with the Holy Ghost until the apostles came. So I said, ah, is this thing true? Maybe it's the apostles. I'm not an apostle, so let me just leave it. But I now saw in the Bible that it's not only the apostles. It's that he. Said that you feel. So I, I believed it until God, when God, I now investigated it, and I found the pattern. And I can say that honestly now, Nine and a half over ten. That's the structure that I have. So it's possible. It's possible. It's, it's for us to hold on to that. That's it is possible. We must it must be a foregone conclusion that it is possible to reclaim this thing. Then we now focus on investigating and finding out the different things. But for me, I, I still feel that this is a question that even when we start seeing blind eyes opening and things happening, as long as we are not seeing everything pure, I mean hundred percent the way it should be then we must still keep going back to ask him, why could we not? So that he can give us more light and give us more revelation. And lastly, I think that if I look at Acts, when it says, and they were all healed. For me, I always say that for Jesus, they were all healed. But I feel that if each of us as believers, the body of believers, okay, we walk in this thing consistently, I honestly don't think it is possible for anybody that comes to the church if I pray for that person and that person doesn't get healed and I refer him to Pastor Tunde and I say, ah, I've noticed that Pastor Tunde, he seems to have a thing with stomach problems or cancers. I don't believe that it is possible that if we all work in it, that all of us together, anything can come into our midst and go unhealed. I may not be able to heal it, but I believe that you may be, or you may be, maybe you have a special thing, blind eyes or whatever, but for that to happen, we must all rise and get to that point. Because we also say that the apostles. So maybe Peter couldn't, and then John did. Maybe John couldn't, but James did. But so when the apostles prayed, that they hid all. And if we all rise up, I think we'll see the same results. Amen. So um, we all need to come to that place because we're going on a journey. And, um, you know, it is important that our hearts are in the right mode. And that we're single-minded on the outcome because of this understanding of God's word and God's will for our lives. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we 
have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And the whole of chapter 2 talks about, you know, the natural man and, you know, doesn't know the things of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit understands the things of God and he searches out all things, even the deep things of God. But we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ, it says we have it. We have it. So that means that we have an internal omniscience. Because the mind of Christ knows all things, does it not? If we have the mind of Christ, that means we have access to omniscience. And that omniscience is internal. We have an internal omniscience. But you see, to access the mind of Christ, you know, look at this several concentric circles. We have the world, we have our brain, we have the mind of Christ. Now, instead of, um, you know, a lot of times... Our belief system, what we believe to be true, is framed from the outside. Yeah? It's framed up from the outside. So what happens is we see things, we hear things, we experience things, and it, it forms our belief system. And based on that belief system, which might be out of line with God's word, it impacts our desire and our expectations. Have you ever seen somebody pray about something and you know that what they are praying about is not God's will. You know how you know, James says that you ask not because you, you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. That I may consume it on your own loss. Now this person is asking the Lord. They are expecting it, but it's based on a belief system which hasn't come from the mind of Christ. So they are trying to go in this way, but really the way it's meant to work is that way, where the mind of Christ... From what we receive from the mind of Christ, it impacts our desires and expectations and it frames our belief system. Does that make sense? So as we are approaching this, we need to begin with the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ about this matter? Yeah? We need to discount what the world is telling us is possible and allow the mind of Christ to be the foundation of our of our investigation. Let it frame our desires and expectations. Let it impact our belief system. And then we'll start, we'll start um, um, demonstrating a dimension of power that is not from the world, but from God. Yeah? We're going to end here, and I'm glad we went in this direction. And next week, we're going to start looking at um, I mean, one of several strands we're going to look at what is reality. Uh, we're going to look at the truth. And we're going to start looking at the origin of sickness. You know, but it's important that we're starting from the right basis, which is this is the will of God. This is the command of God. And um, our end result is sure. Okay? Because Jesus commanded it. He experienced it. The disciples experienced it. And therefore, we will experience it too. Praise God. Let us stand. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. Uh, we're thankful for your spirit uh, that is at work in our lives. We're thankful, oh God, uh, for the desire that you have put within us. Because the Bible says that it is you that is at work within us, giving us the power and the desire to do your will. Holy Father, we open our hearts to you as we embrace these truths. We ask for revelation knowledge. Uh, we ask for uh, the discovery of the Holy Spirit so that we can be effective 
in doing the work of the ministry. That thousands and thousands may be saved and brought to the knowledge of the truth. So Lord, we just commend ourselves to the Holy Ghost. As we meditate on the truth we have learned today, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us, guide us, lead us, give us light and insight and understanding. Uh, let us come into an experience of you that we may grow in the true knowledge of God. Holy Father, we are thankful for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, praise the Lord.